If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, please open up to Genesis chapter 15. We are in a message series called Jesus in Genesis, where we are looking at the first book of the Bible to see where we see uh, Jesus Christ. And I, I find myself saying this, at least thinking this, about all of these passages in Genesis that we've been talking about on Sunday morning, that this is really important, and this morning, this one is really important, a really important story, because it reveals to us something foundational about our relationship with God. You have to get this, or else it's, we're we're missing um, what what God builds his relationship with us on. Um, So, look at Genesis chapter 15. By the way, if you did not bring a Bible, you can find one in the seat in front of you or near the seat in front of you and uh, turn to page, uh, I think it's 13 if you're using one of our Bibles. And here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord... What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up in the sky and count all the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. And the birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and a dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. 
we were talking about our relationship with the Lord, and uh, many people today would say they are very interested in a relationship with the Lord. They're glad that they can be in a relationship with the Lord. That's not a very contentious point that we, among people, uh, that we want to be in this relationship with, with God. I want to put on the screen, what is the point of contention for many with a relationship with God? And it's this, that God gets to define our relationship. And, and many people want to be in a relationship with God, walk with God, but they want, to, they want to define the relationship. They want to be able to set the terms of that relationship. They, for example, um, many people would say, you know, I appreciate God in the world. I appreciate God watching over me. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's how the song goes, right? And I appreciate that. I want to walk with God, but I also want to keep God at a safe distance so that I can live my life as I would like to live. Set the terms of this relationship. Uh, Or many people would like to uh, walk with God, but God as they would define God or describe God or think about God. Or, and you've likely heard this before, people say, I I have my own relationship with God. Um, and I, you know, I don't go to church. I can worship God on my own as, as I see fit. Um, and people have, who have gone to, you know, been, been a part of churches for years and years may walk away and say, yeah, you know, I just want to walk with God on my own. I want to set the boundaries and the conditions for this relationship. And instead of hearing from God on how I'm supposed to walk uh, with him, because God says, no, you, I want you to be a part of my people in this relationship. So we like to set the own, uh, our own terms for the relationship, or many people do. That's a struggle because God gets to set the terms. And we see this with, with Abram, what he reveals uh, to him. Um, God reveals to Abram how he chooses in a very fundamental way, um, how we are able then to relate with God. And it's this. This is the fundamental way. God relates to us through a covenant. And the word covenant is not a, a, a very widely used term today, right? It's used here or there, um, but it's not a widely used term. What do we mean by covenant? I want to give you my definition of what a covenant is. Uh, A covenant is a set of promises that uniquely define a relationship. Any relationship, if there's a covenant uh, between those two people or two parties, it's those promises that actually define the relationship. Uh, Think of a marriage relationship because... It's widely accepted today that a marriage is a covenant between a husband and a wife. Well, what uniquely defines that relationship? It's not necessarily love. It's not necessarily um, sacrifice, uh, dedication, or, or camaraderie, or companionship, because those can be true of many relationships, a loving friendship, uh, a friendship Two people just hang out. They, they are com- comrades. They, they're companions. They like to spend time with one another. What uniquely defines a relationship as a marriage between a man and a woman would be the covenant, the promises that 
they make to one another as husband and wife, I will be devoted to you. Death, do us part. It's a covenant that defines, the promises that define that, that relationship. And if you want to understand your relationship with God, you have to think of it in terms of covenant, these promises that God makes, these, these promises that are made between us and God. And we're going to look at two foundations of God's covenant with us. Um, and one is this, that God initiates the covenant with us. It's God who makes the first move. It's really important that we understand this. In other words, never is it that someone goes to God and says, God, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking it would be really great for you and I to be in a relationship with one another. And then for God to say, oh, that is kind of an interesting thought. Let me think about it for a while. I'll get back with you. That's not how it works with God. God gets to choose to be in a relationship with us first. He's the initiator. God always makes the first move. And because God initiates the covenant with us and not us with him, that actually gives us a pathway for us to to walk down as we enjoy this relationship with God. Um, So first, we could say this when we remember that God's the initiator of the covenant, we can say that, that uh, you don't have to fully understand God to begin a relationship with him. Let's think of it this way. Many people might say, you know, I don't know if I can be a Christian yet because I just have all these unanswered questions about God and who he is and I'm just trying to make sense of this world, and I can't, I can't get my mind around it, and I, I can't be a Christian yet. You know, I, I can't get my mind around the concept of hell or what happens to good people who aren't Christians when they die. I can't get my mind around some of the stories in Genesis, Noah's Ark. How do they fit all the species of all the animals of, of animal life on the ark or creation versus evolution? I don't get it. Um, and I, I have these questions that I want answered, and I want them answered before I can be a Christian. I want you to consider that because God initiates the covenant with us, He gives us a green light to enter into that relationship without having all of our questions answered about Him. And that is especially true when we look at Abram. We said several weeks ago that God spoke to Abram when he was living in a foreign country, living amongst his family that were worshiping gods of that, area, these, these pagan false gods. Uh, Abram did not grow up in a, with a worldview of, of the one true God that we know is God. And God just said, come, go where I show you. That's all he gave Abram. And he invited Abram to start walking in this relationship with him with, with very few questions answered. And maybe that you this morning, you might be finding yourself in a position. I have these questions about God, and I, I want to get my mind around God before I start walking with him. And God says, no, 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 no. I invite you into this relationship, and in this relationship, you will come to know me. So a second thing that we can say about this pathway of walking in a relationship with God is that walking in a relationship with God is the way that we come to know God. 
Because God is the initiator of the covenant and our relationship with him, then you can trust him to grow your relationship with him, your knowledge and understanding of him. You can trust him to give answers to your questions along the way. And he will show you. There's a scene in the New Testament where John the Baptist was with some of his disciples and they see Jesus. And John says to his disciples, look, there is the Lamb of God. And it was kind of John's way of shining this big, bright spotlight on Jesus and saying, he's the one you need to be following. And so what did his disciples do? They went over to Jesus. And they asked him a question, actually. Where are you going? Where are you staying? And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, Jesus does not give them an answer. Oh, I'm staying over there, you know, just to answer your question. Instead, he invites them on a walk, on a journey. He says, come and you will see. <laughs> come and you will see. And he invites them into this walk, this relationship with him, through which he will provide knowledge and understanding and answers to their questions. But it's, it's the journey, it's the relationship that God first invites us down. God can be unhurried in making everything crystal clear to us. He does not expect us to have perfect doctrine as we walk in this relationship with him. So if it's not perfect doctrine that God expects from us before we enter this relationship, he's, gonna, he's going to reveal himself to us and show us truth and understanding as we walk with him. If it's not perfect doctrine initially that God expects from us, what is it? What is it that God wants from us as we start walking in this relationship with him? It's this. It's humble trust is the way, is the key to walking in a relationship with God. It's humble trust. Abram hardly had a full understanding of God. Mainly, Abram just had some promises. God saying, I will give you descendants, I will give you land. That's, that's what God told him, these promises. And Abram was old. He was well beyond childbearing age, he and his wife. All these unanswered questions. How? How, is it, how will this happen? And God says, walk with me. Go with me. Trust me. And verse 6 of Genesis 15 says that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God saw Abram's belief. Notice that uh, Abram didn't just believe in the Lord. He believed the Lord, what he said. And God saw that belief in Abram and he said, that is a righteous act. That is a right act. It's the right way to live. Believing and trusting in me. And he was willing to walk with the Lord and then see how God worked things out. He put his hope in the Lord, even when it wasn't clear of where God was taking him. He was going to hope in the Lord to work things out. Now that is an interesting thought right there. God saying, do this. Walk in obedience. Trust me. And sometimes not giving us a, just a crystal clear picture of what that's going to look like. Just walk with me. Trust me. How do we 
then have the, the power to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm going to put my hope in you. What gives us the power to do that? Here's the second foundation of God's covenant with us. It's this. God assures us of his covenant promises. And it's one of the kindest things that the, the Lord does for us, I believe. Because we have this question. And it's the same question as, as Abram. In, in verse eight, look at verse 8. Sovereign Lord, Abram asks, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, the land that you've promised? How can I know that I will receive these promises that you're making? How can I be certain that I can put my hope and trust in you, God? And it's interesting what, what God says in verse 13. God says, know for certain. No. You can count on it. You can count on what I say to come to pass. You can count on my promises. What would, how would life be different if we knew for certain the promises of God? I want to think about that. How, how would life be different if we just knew for certain that God's promises would come to pass for us? Well, we would live with much less worry, much less stress. We would probably have radically different values on certain things if we knew for certain, God's promises. It's like we know for certain that chair is going to support your weight as you sit down. If you knew like that, God's promises were true. A couple of weeks ago, Pierre Mata preached a great sermon about the, um, the rich man that Jesus told, sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, follow me. And he wasn't able to do that. And the disciples are with Jesus when this is happening, and they see this, and they, they see Jesus, what Jesus asked this man to do, and how he walked away from Jesus. Um, and Peter, the disciple, just says, Lord, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus gives him this, gives him this promise. Look at this promise. In um, Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children, in other words, the most important things in your life, no one has, has left those things for the sake of the kingdom of God. Uh, no one who has done that will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. In this life and in the next life, you will receive much, much, much more when you've put me first in your life, when you've been willing to to put me first above all else and sacrifice. That's a promise. How how would life be different if we knew that promise were true? Look at uh, Jesus' not Jesus' promise, God's promise to Abram in uh, in verse 1 of chapter 15. Do not be afraid, Abram. 
Why does God say that to Abram? Probably because he was afraid. (laughs) Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. And that verse actually leaves out a Hebrew word. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your exceedingly great reward, God says. What if we believed that knew it and knew that promise to be true, that God is our shield and God is our exceedingly great reward, that we will never be dissatisfied when God is first in our life. What if we just knew that was true? Our life would be radically different. God invites us, this walk with him, this relationship with him, into one where we, we live as if we knew those promises to be true. What promise of God this morning do you need to know is true? You know, write that down. There's even a little line in your note sheet where you can write that promise down. What, what, do I, what promise from God do I just need to know is true? And, and I invite you to take that before God and just present it to him. Just like Abram presented it to God as well. How do I, how do I know that I'll inherit this land? Because notice that... God um, did not chastise Abram for asking that question. He did not reprimand Abram, oh, ye of little faith. And he won't do that with you either. Instead, God responds to Abram's question by giving him a, a sign of his faithful character. He says, let me show you, Abram, that you can trust in me. See, no promise can be relied upon without knowing the faithful character of the one who makes the promise, right? That's how we know a promise is sure when the person making the promise is a faithful character. And God says, let me show you, Abram. Abram, go give me a heifer and a a goat and a ram and a pigeon and uh, a dove. And Abraham goes and gets those animals. And it's kind of interesting that Abram doesn't get those animals and say, well, what do you want me to do with these? He just starts, he starts cutting them in half. Abram knows exactly what to do with these animals when God asks him to do it. He cuts them in half. He lays them in a line and these carcasses. And so imagine doing that. Imagine cutting a, a cow in half. I mean, blood would be going everywhere, and a ram and a goat, blood's going everywhere. So that's exactly what would happen. When two kings or two parties would make a covenantal treaty in ancient times, cut these animals in half and make a pathway, and there would be blood just running down this pathway. And then they would walk down the pathway, each party. And it was a sign. It was saying this. It was saying... If I am not faithful to keep my promises that I'm making today, may what happened to the an- these animals, may that happen to me. If I am unfaithful in keeping my promises, may I be cut in half. May I, may I be torn apart. May my blood be spilled on the ground. May I be cursed. May I be cut off. And that Abram knows that that was just what they did in the time. So Abram knew exactly what to do with these animals. He just made the pathway. There's blood going all down the pathway. Now imagine Abram's reaction to this. God makes this incredible promise to Abram. 
land and descendants. And Abram's old and he can't have kids. And God says, if I fail to deliver on my promises, may I be torn, and, torn apart, Abram. May I be destroyed. Abram's great. That's wonderful. But Abram might have then thought this. That's great that you're saying, God, if you're unfaithful to your promises, maybe you be torn apart, torn apart, but I'm worried about me. I'm worried about me being torn apart if I am not able to fulfill my promises. God, what about me? So I thought about that, and I thought about Another pretty common covenant ceremony that we have in our country all the time. It's a a wedding ceremony. It's It's a covenantal promise ceremony. And there's a husband and wife, and they make promises to one another to many witnesses that are gathered. And what happens at the end of the wedding ceremony? The They've made their vows, they kiss, they are pronounced husband and wife, and then what happens? The bride and the groom, they walk down the center aisle in between the witnesses as a way of sealing this covenant ceremony as as a sign of the promises that they're making to one another. They're going to walk down this center aisle. You know what never happens at the end of a wedding ceremony? Just the bride walking down the center aisle with the groom hanging out with a pastor at the end, or vice versa. They both walk down the center aisle together, right? So think about God and Abram and this blood path that has been created. In Genesis chapter 15, who walks down the path? It's God alone. It's God alone. Abram doesn't have to go. And what is going on here is just amazing. Because here's what God is saying. Abram, if I am unfaithful to the promises that I am making to you, remember there's that that smoking pot, the, the torch and the pot going down the center aisle. God's showing Abram, may I be torn apart. And Abram, you're not walking down. So what God is saying is Abram, and if you are not faithful to the promises you're making to me, guess what? God says, I will be torn apart as well. And it's an amazing display of faithfulness. Ian Duguid is a a, a professor at Westminster Theological Ceremony, uh, uh, seminary, so many ceremonies talking about today, a seminary, and, and he puts... This scene like this. By what figure could God have demonstrated his commitment more graphically to Abram? The only way would have been for the ever-living God to take on human nature and taste death himself. And that is exactly what happens with Jesus Christ, right? Because nearly 2,000 years Later, Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples. 
and he took bread and a cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then the next day, there also was a dreadful darkness that filled the earth as Jesus was crucified on the cross. And he was torn apart, and his blood was spilled all over the ground. And don't you see that as God walking down the, the blood path on our behalf so we don't have to walk down? That is God saying to us, and if you are not faithful to your promises to me, guess what? I will be torn apart instead of you. So here's the assurance of God's covenant. The judgment of our sins that would disqualify us from the blessing and the delight of God fell on Jesus instead. So you can know that you never are disqualified from the covenant. Our rebellious hearts do not disqualify when we, when we mess up, when we're focusing on God, but we, we sin. That doesn't disqualify us from God's covenant with us. And when you really understand that, when you really understand that Jesus paid the price so that we never have to doubt God's covenant with us, that enables you to be like Abram and then to step out in faith and walk faithfully with God. And I just want to finish with a few thoughts of walking faithfully with God. What do we see with with Abram? Um, We see that what pleases God is faith. It's not right doctrine. It's not knowing all the answers. It's just faith. Abram's belief was shown through how he trusted and followed and walked with God. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God wants us to keep moving forward in faith. Is there some act of obedience that you're contemplating but you're kind of holding back on Act of obedience with God, you're holding back on because you're thinking, if I do this and God doesn't step in, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> if I do this, God, you're not there to be with me and catch me, I'm in big trouble. Faith is when you act in a way that tells God, I know that you'll be there for me. I know I can count on your promises. I know that you'll be there to catch me. That's faith. So what pleases God is faith too. Uh, Walk forward in obedience even when you don't fully understand. Because read Genesis chapter 15. Do you think Abram really understood it when God said, okay, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land, but it really will never be yours in the first place, and it will only come to your, your descendants in about 400 years after they've been enslaved in another country because the sin of the Amorites haven't really reached its full level yet. Do you think Abram really understood all that? No. And yet, he still walked in faith with God. He moved forward in faith. When God told Abram, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, your only son whom you love. Do you think Abram had all the answers? Absolutely not. Yet he walked forward in faith, hoping and trusting that God would provide a way. Which he did, of course. 
So you can know that God will be true to his promises. So walk forward in obedience, even when you don't fully understand. Uh, Don't despair over faith that flickers. It's been noted, faith can be a light that blazes like a thousand suns. And sometimes faith can be like a little candle that flickers. And yet faith keeps moving forward, whether it's blazing like a sun or it's just a little flickering candle, it keeps moving forward. And this is what Abram did. And Abram did a lot of stumbling around as he was moving forward in faith. There are many times in Abram's walk when his faith was more like that little flickering candle. We just have to look at the very next chapter, chapter 16, and we see what Abram does. He tries to jumpstart this process of having a son by having it with his wife's servant instead of his wife self. Not a, not a brilliant, faithful move. That his, his faith was more like that little flickering candle. But God remained faithful to Abram, and he kept his promises. So you keep hanging on to the character of God and his faithfulness, even when your faith feels weak. And just keep moving forward, one step after another, in the right direction. And finally, just keep focusing on Jesus. When, when you feel like your faith is it's not that blazing sun, it's that little flickering candle, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep focusing on Jesus' death on the cross. That reminder that nothing will disqualify you from the covenant that God initiated with you and has made possible for you. Because... Jesus paid the price, the full price, for every one of your sins. That's a reminder of God's promises. What does Romans chapter 8, verse 32 say? That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The answer, all of his promises to us, because he gave it. Gave Jesus, his son, to us. And through Christ's death on the cross, you can know that God will always be faithful to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us to walk with you. Thank you for breaking into our world and redeeming us when we were hopelessly lost, when we were sinners. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to die on a cross for our sins, and that nothing separates us from your love. And we pray that that truth would more and more take root in our heart and help us to walk faithfully. Lord, help us to trust in your promises. Help us to be bold and trusting you, giving our all to you, looking constantly to your love that you showed on Jesus' cross. We pray this in his name.